Praise the Lord. If we'd all turn to Exodus 23 and 30. Deuteronomy 7.22, quick readings this evening. And then when you've found that one, stick your finger in it and go to Ephesians Steve's there, so I'm going to read. Exodus 23 and 30. By little and little I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. And then Deuteronomy 7 and 2. And the Lord thy God will put out those nations before thee by little and little. Thou mayest not consume them at once, lest the beasts of the field increase upon thee. Ephesians 4 and 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Tonight, I've entitled my message, Growing Pains, and hopefully I'll communicate it to you clearly. In Exodus 23 and 30, the children of Israel are camped at Mount Sinai, where they would remain for almost two years. During this time, God establishes the law, the priesthood, and the tabernacle. He communicates his desire that the children of Israel would become a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. If they would obey his voice and keep his commandments, then they would be a precious treasure unto him above all the people of the earth. In the chapters leading up to Exodus 23, God gives them the Ten Commandments and begins to make his law clear so that the people of God know exactly what he expects from his people. He then goes on to confirm his promise to the children of Israel that if they obey his voice, he would send an angel before them to keep them in the way and bring them to the place which he has prepared for them. His fear would go before them to destroy all the people that would come against them. He would fight with them and fight for them sending hornets to drive out the Hevite and the Hittite and the Canaanite. But he warns them that he wouldn't do it all at once. Driving out the enemy would not happen in a moment. Victory would not come immediately. He would not do it in a day or in a month or even a year. Possessing the land would be a slow process and it would happen in increments, little by little. They would increase, and little by little, they would inherit the land. He would orchestrate it all and be there with them each step of the way. They were not to do it on their own, but with the help of God. Fast forward 40 or so years, and we come to the scripture in Deuteronomy 7 and 22, and they're camped at the edge of the promised land once more. Their fathers had been there 40 years prior, but were not permitted to enter the land flowing with milk and honey because of their doubt and disobedience. They had seen that the word of the Lord was true. They had spied out the land and saw that it surely flowed with milk and honey, 
but they balked when they saw the people were strong and they dwelled in walled cities and that there were giants in the land. Their report discouraged the hearts of the children of Israel and they refused to go up and possess the land. As a result, that generation had a death death sentence pronounced over them and the children of Israel were all sent to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. By the end of the 40 years, all those that belonged to the disobedient generation died. Only Joshua and Caleb were left and were allowed to enter the promised land with the children of those that had died. Moses recites the history of the children of Israel to a younger generation and reminds them of the promises of God made to their fathers. This generation had witnessed the judgment of God on their parents for their doubt and disobedience. They were under no illusion that the task they had ahead of them would be easy or over quickly. Although God had promised them the land, they knew that they would be required to fight and that there would be giants to deal with and walled cities to come up against. They knew that God was with them and they knew it would be a slow process. The possession of the land would happen little by little, just as God had said, and it would require them to sacrifice, to be committed to the cause, to consecrate themselves and every ounce of energy they possessed. They needed to be determined that the enemy would be driven out. Not every battle would be a Jericho and have supernatural intervention, but every battle would be successful if they used the strategy God provided to fight it. In the battle to conquer Ai the second time around, in Joshua 8, God gives Joshua the, st- the strategy for victory. Joshua was to organize an ambush behind the city. 5,000 men were to surround Ai and lie in wait, while Joshua, Joshua and the others would act as a decoy, drawing the people out of, armies out of the city. When the ambush received the signal, they were to enter Ai and take the city. And when the armies of Ai looked back, they saw that their city was burning and they realized they'd been tricked and there would be nowhere for them to run. Little by little, just as the Lord had said, they were increased and inherited the land. Yet even when Joshua died, there was still much, very much land to be possessed. The job wasn't finished. When we read how the land was divided between the tribes, occasionally we come across instances where the children of Israel failed to drive out the enemy to be like Jesus to be like Jesus all I want is to be like him all through life's journey from earth to glory all I want is to be like him change me Lord change me Lord don't let me stay the same for I want to be more like you take my life make my life just what you want it to be. Oh, Lord, please change me. Change me, dear Lord. We sing these songs and others like them and we pray these prayers. We want to be like Jesus. We want him to make us what he wants us to be. We don't want to stay the same. We know that in our flesh there is no good thing. So we pray these prayers and we desire to be transformed by the renewing of our mind But because we are programmed by carnal thinking, 
and our flesh requires instant gratification, we expect that we would be changed immediately. We should become the next Apostle Paul instantly as Jesus waves his royal scepter over us. Instant noodles, instant coffee, instant lawn, instant credit, instant information. Thank you, Brother Google. We can just about have anything we want or need instantly. We spend one day controlling our calorie intake and expect to lose 10 kilos or at least a dress size by the next day. All right, we're all there. We spend, we go into the gym, a wimpy Clark Kent, and expect to walk out looking like Superman. We rely on credit because saving takes time and nobody's got time for that. We don't like waiting. We don't like waiting for food. We don't like waiting in queues. And we don't like waiting in traffic. Are we there yet? The cry of many an impatient traveller. We don't like it when things happen a little bit at a time and the increments of progress are small. When this is the case, we tend to give up. I would love to blame the culture of our day for ingraining this into us, but it really is an age-old problem that was introduced with sin. Processes can be uncomfortable. They're slow and they usually take longer than we are willing to endure. But processes are a necessary part of life in order to achieve a particular end. Throughout the word of God, we see that God's plan for mankind is revealed little by little. And as a result, it involves a process. It's not to say that God isn't able to do everything he wants to do instantly. He is. But for our own good, he doesn't. Early on in the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt, we see that God did not lead them through the land of the Philistines. Although that may have been a faster route, God knew the children of Israel were not ready for war, and he therefore directs them through the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. The faster, easier way is not usually the path that God lays out for us. He's not interested in making us happy or comfortable. He's interested in developing our character. And unfortunately, the process is slow and awkward. It's un- it was under God's directive that the children of Israel would be placed in a situation where they would feel trapped with the Red Sea in front of them and the Egyptian army behind them. Of course, God knew they weren't trapped. And we fail to feel their terror because we know what happened. We know that God had a plan. And not only would an entire army be wiped out, but the account of it would strike terror in the hearts of nations in the land that he had prepared for the children of Israel. The account of the Red Sea crossing would go before them. And if you fast forward roughly 42 years... Rahab tells the two spies in Jericho that we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. Their initial terrified reaction was much like ours would be in the exact same situation. We would look for someone to blame and say things would have been better if we had just stayed in Egypt. God was placing them in a process to achieve a particular end. He was forming a nation that would know their God. They would know that he is their deliverer, their provider, 
their healer, their peace, their shepherd, their protection, their sanctifier, their righteousness, and their backup. He was the Lord of hosts. In order to prove without a shadow of a doubt that he indeed was their deliverer, he places them in what seems to be an impossible situation. No one, no man would ever take the credit for the splitting of the Red Sea and providing dry ground to make passage for 600,000 men aged 20 and up besides women and children with their livestock. As we read the word, we forget that often those that receive promises and dreams from God didn't have their promise or their dream fulfilled the next day. A process of refinement and growth took place in order to achieve the purpose that God wanted to bring about. Both growth and refinement are required and work hand in hand in the life of one who endeavours to walk in submission and obedience to Christ. Refinement is the process of removing impurities or unwanted elements from a substance. Make me holy, for you are holy. You are inviting a process of refinement when you pray that prayer. Refinement refinement is not haphazard. The refiner knows exactly what he's doing, what must be removed, and what it would look like in the end. The Bible refers to the refining process of gold and silver and how it requires fire. Speaking of Israel, the prophet Zechariah says in Zechariah 13 and 9, And I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. And they shall call on my name, and I will hear them, and I will say, It is my people. And they shall say, The Lord is my God. And Peter speaks about our faith going through a refinement process much like that of gold. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honour and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The ancient practice of refining by fire is still the preferred method for refining large quantities of gold today. When refining by flame, a a craftsman sits by a hot flame stirring the vessel of molten gold and skimming the impurities and the dross that rise to the top of the molten metal. Growth is the process of increasing in size. It is the process of developing physically, mentally or spiritually. The Encyclopedia Britannica describes the growth process as seldom random. Rather, it occurs according to a plan that eventually determines the size and shape of an individual. The growth process is a little by little process. It takes 18 years for a baby to become a legal adult. It happens before our eyes with the increments of growth so small they are hardly noticeable. Other times growth spurts take place and shoes that fit yesterday are too small today or clothes that were the perfect length yesterday no longer fit or are too short. During this little-by-little process, a child may experience growing pains. The term growing pains was first attributed to the growth process by a French doctor in 1823. The pain is relatively common to children aged 3 to 12 and appear at night in the calf or thigh muscles of both legs. 
you may have experienced growth pains growing up. They are usually gone by the morning and these pains reliably stop once the child has completely stopped growing, hence the term growing pains. All babies when they're born are roughly the same length. By the time they reach adulthood, their heights will differ considerably. Doctors have ways that they can use to predict the adult height of a child. But there are other determining factors as to whether a child reaches their potential height. 70% of our eventual adult height is influenced by our genetics and is dependent on the mix of genes that we have coded for bone development, growth hormones and metabolic enzymes that are key to normal growth and development. Our adult height generally reflects that of our parents. The other 30% is influenced by the effect of nutrition, the effect nutrition has on our body, on how our body forms and grows. When we repent and we're baptized in Jesus' name and receive the Holy Ghost, we're born again. We are babes in Christ. Like newborn babies are roughly all the same length and are subject to a growth process in order to achieve, achieve adulthood, spiritual babies also have the same starting point and are subject to a growth process in order to achieve maturity. All babies in Christ come from the same gene pool. Jesus is our father and the church is our mother. Like in the natural, 70% of our events of our eventual or our predicted spiritual height is influenced by our genetic makeup. Our spiritual genes are, grow, are coded for development and growth. And like in the natural, the other 30% influences our, that influences our eventual spiritual height depends on proper nutrition. The difference here, however, is that we are responsible to see that our spiritual nutritional needs are met. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. We have been given the bread of life, which is the word of God, and we have been giving, given living water, the spirit of God who is willing to work in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Spiritually, it doesn't matter how good the genetics are, we choose whether we grow or whether we remain babies. We choose whether we allow the Spirit of God to change us or we quench it. We stop it. We stop Him working in us. We choose to grow when we submit our will, our thoughts and our spirit to Him. Everything we need has been provided for us so that our spiritual adult height would reflect that of our parents. In the natural, we don't have to think about growing. It just happens. Little by little, as long as we receive the proper nutrition, we will grow to our predetermined height. However, our spiritual growth does not just happen. Even with the proper nutrition, it requires consistency, sacrifice, consecration, energy, and, and determination. The Bible tells us that the carnal mind, our natural thinking, is hostile towards the things of God. In order for us to grow spiritually, we must continually battle with the carnal mind to subdue it and submit our thoughts, emotions and will to God. We can't see the increments of progress and be satisfied with how far we've come when there's still so far to go. The children of Israel became satisfied with what they had achieved 
after Joshua died and stopped conquering. Whatever, they, whatever we don't subdue will hinder and stop our spiritual growth. In the natural, I cannot determine how tall I'll grow. It doesn't matter how much I wish it and think about it, my height cannot and will not be increased. However, spiritually, I'm encouraged to grow into the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The measure is like a height chart in a doorframe that parents mark to record their child's growth. Perhaps dad's height is the highest mark on the doorframe and this is the mark that the children aspire to grow to. The word stature refers to growth and maturity. So spiritually, the fullness of Christ is the measure we must aspire to grow to and mature to. Spiritual growth is achieved little by little, much like that of the conquering of the promised land. At times, it will be uncomfortable and we will suffer growing pains. We will go through situations that we don't like and we will tell the Lord we don't like it and we may tell everybody else too that we just don't like it. But it doesn't matter how much you don't like it, it's a process that you go through. And if we don't get it the first time, it will come around again. The process will seem to take forever. The pain will seem to go on for a long time and the progress will be slow. It may be hard work at times and not much fun at all. But we must remember that the pain we suffer as as a direct result of growth and maturity in Christ is not because we are unloved. On the contrary, God delights in our growth and expansion in him and he wants us to draw closer to him that he would share the depth of his riches with us. When it gets hard, we need to stay focused and continue to be consistent. Our natural tendency is to give up when things get tough. We begin to doubt the promises of God and we harden our hearts. And we want, we want everything God has for us, but without the struggle. We want to be the next Apostle Paul, but without the shipwrecks, the stonings, and the imprisonments, thanks. We need to be continually reaching toward the mark, not only the high calling of God, but that spiritual height chart, aspiring to grow into the perfect man, to the stature of the measure of the fullness of Christ. And even though there is never any way that we will reach that mark, we're encouraged and urged to give it all we have and take advantage of that invitation to explore the breadth, length, depth and height of God. We will never know the full magnitude of God. The Word of God tells us that there, tells us that there is depth in the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Albert Barnes suggests that the word depth refers to something vast and incomprehensible, much like an abyss or an ocean. His judgments are unsearchable. That is to say, there is so much that it is impossible to understand it all, and his ways are past finding out. The riches of God paint a picture in my mind of an Aladdin's cave. There is so much treasure you can't possibly carry at all. Whether it is the riches of his grace or the riches of, his, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints or the unsearchable riches of Christ or the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. There is so much in that cave 
that we can take hold of or take advantage of, that we can know. No wonder the Apostle Paul said, not as though I've already attained, because he knew what he had, there was so much more to be had. Either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that which also I am apprehended. We have been invited into a process. And when you pray those prayers, change me, Lord, make me holy, you are accepting that process. Don't be surprised if you pray something like that and then something, not awful, but something uncomfortable happens. You're most likely already invited into your life when you ask God to change you and to make you holy and to make you like him. The heat of refinement isn't something we look forward to, but when the process is done, there is pure gold or silver. Are we willing to endure the growth process, the growing pains, the discomfort that comes with growing and maturing into the fullness of Christ? Little by little, he works in us. Do not be discouraged. We can be confident of this very thing, that he which began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. But we have to be willing to do our part. He will work with us, but we must submit and obey. Every struggle we face, God is with us, working to bring about his plan and his purpose through it all, working so that we will grow through it. We have to be willing to drive out the enemy and subdue our carnality. We must be determined to be consistent and faithful, willing to sacrifice and live a life of consecration unto God. The progress will be little by little, we must be patient and not give up. We mustn't become complacent. We must recognize that growth is not instantaneous. Only in fairy tales can we plant beans one day and have a fully grown beanstalk that leads to treasure the next. The spiritual growth process is the same for everyone and everyone is required to grow. But we determine how far we go and how tall we'll get. Won't you stand tonight? If you've prayed those prayers before, and we've heard about growth these past six weeks or so, I don't know how many services I've sat there and think, keep away, keep away, that's mine, that's mine, don't go there, don't go there. But the Lord is dealing with us. He wants to take us to a place we've never been before. He wants to take us into that Aladdin's cave where there are riches that are uncomprehensible to us. Are we happy outside the cave just picking up a gold coin here and there when it falls or when it's blown out? Or do we want to go in? Do we want to know the riches of his grace, the riches of, his, of who he is? Hallelujah. There's so much. We, we just have a drop in the bucket. We just have a drop in the bucket. But if we will surrender everything that we are to him, who knows what he could do with us. And so tonight, I invite you to come. If you're willing to endure the pain, if you're willing to endure the growth, 
he will do great things. As we heard this morning, the Apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh, but it was for the glory of God. And our lives, that's what we're here for. If, if Jesus has saved you, you're here to glorify him. Our life is not our own. We were born with surprise. Why don't you come this evening? Thank you, Jesus.